Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. Continuing OSR October into the 19th of the month, I'm going to look at a product called An Echo Resounding by Kevin Crawford. This is a Labyrinth Lord compatible product. It came out, oh, maybe like 2010-ish. I'm probably wrong about that. 2012. My understanding is, based on a little bit of research, is that the current Kevin Crawford project uh, world without number is what's called a world without number. It has a lot of, if not all of this information in it as part of its kind of world building th- section. That is a massive tome though. And this is a little tiny PDF. So I decided to go with this. I say a little tiny, it's a, a, like over a hundred pages, but what we've got here is a system to run domains. And the conceit here is that this is something you want to start kind of in the background at the beginning of your campaign and have these kind of domains going on. It's It's got a pretty easy system and player characters can become involved in this kind of play earlier on. You don't have to wait until their ninth level and all of a sudden be like, oh, you get a domain. That's kind of the point here. Uh, I, I had already recorded this once and it was quite long because I was like page flipper, but I'm just going to kind of give you the basics here because I think that's all you really need to get an idea if this will work for you. Basically, you've got an introduction that talks about the ideas of it. It talks about getting players involved. It talks about the idea of like how long this might take when you put it in your campaign. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, Kevin pretty rightfully says that if you've got two players that are super interested in domain play and nobody else at the table is, you don't want to spend half the session doing domain play. So this has created a system where you do domain turns, which is is uh, nebulous, but basically you should be about a month or so, maybe two months, depending on the campaign. And in those campaign turns, you basically do like two moves and a move is generally going to require a die roll. And that's it. I mean, you should be able to quickly discuss what you want to do, run through some basic stuff and then make your die rolls. And that's all you need to do. And if the player characters aren't involved in the campaigns at the beginning, the GM can do this between sessions. There are some uh, places where you would insert adventures uh, to go with this, which I'll talk about as we go. So I'm going to look at this first part. It says to make a fire. And this covers the basic concepts. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read tidbits from it so you get an idea of what this thing is about. And then we'll talk a little bit about the heroes, which I think is interesting as well. So basic concepts. A region is simply a particular area in which you expect your campaign to spend the largest amount of time. The basic building block of the region is a location. A location is simply any place on the map that is interesting to the PCs or strategically valuable to a ruler. Locations have military, wealth, and social values. While these values can be largely ignored by individual heroes, they can be important to guiding the goals and policies of city-states or tribal nations. Locations often also have traits. Traits indicate special qualities about the location and set it off from other types. Sometimes they are beneficial, sometimes not. Locations can also have an obstacle. Obstacles are traits that make the location uncontrollable until they have been suppressed or destroyed. Now I'm going to jump in here and say, this is where the player characters can come in, especially at low levels, because while you can use the domain rules to make a domain turn to like squash a rebellion or whatever, you can also make an adventure about it and the PCs can take part in that adventure. Finally, locations have assets. Domains can use mobile assets, such as soldiers, to attempt to see the locations to overcome obstacles that arise within their own lands or dissuade rival polities from moving in on their lands. Immobile assets, such as schools, shrines, and social traditions, instead provide advantages to location. 
When you create a region, you will be creating a set of locations, equipping them with traits, determining obstacles for each, and finally setting up a local domain. And basically that's it, right? You set up your map at the beginning, it walks through the stages of several of the chapters go into very specific things like what are the traits of a city? What are the uh, activities? What obstacles might be there? So you've got cities and towns, you have ruins, you've got resources, you have layers, and then you've got kind of a general description of obstacles. Then we get into the idea of, you know what, I'll look at one of them. I didn't want to make this too long, but let's take it. Let's look at cities and towns and let's look at origins. So when you have a city or town, you roll for its origin. It's a D10 table. It might be an ancestral land or an ancient industry or a defensible site. And any of these things will add to the domain's power. So ancestral land gives you plus two to the wealth. Ancient industry gives you plus two to the wealth. Defensible site would give you plus two to military. And again, this plus number has to do with when you make your domain moves as rolls that you make. Effectively, it's a saving throw. Then we can look at traits. Let's say traits of a ruin. For a ruin, you it's again a D10 table. You might have an ancient armory or a scattered heirs or a glorious dead or glorious dead, I guess. An ancient armory would give you plus two to military. Glorious dead gives you plus two to the military as well. And we've got, what was the other one looked at? Scattered heirs might give you plus two to social. Then we have ruined obstacles. Actually, let's look at obstacles. Let's look at, look at so for resources. We can look at your obstacles. And now what ends up happening with obstacles is this. There's various saving throws. And what you use to battle the obstacle, if you're using domain rules, is the saving throw. And it's basically against what's going on, right? So if we look at something like a saving throw versus disorder, would use your military. And if you have guardsmen as a unit, you're good to go. You could also use military, any other type of military unit, but if you don't have guardsmen, then you take a penalty. So ideally you wanna have the type of, of uh, power that you need, which would be military here, and then the type of unit that you need. There's also uprisings that are also military, but for that you need military units. There's poverty, which would need wealth and merchants. There's despair, which would need social and a profit. So again, these can become adventures and then you can make your roles or just have the party solve the issue. Now, once we get past this, we have layers, of course, for your monsters. And then we go into domain management. So there's rules about domain concepts, creating a domain, the domain turn, which is what I talked about, taking and losing locations, all kinds of different stuff here. So pretty, pretty good section here on this. Domain management starts at page 39 and goes all the ways to page 50. Well, 49 technically because, uh, huh. and with, which includes, by the way, a one-page example of play, which is super useful. So there's a section here on mass combat, which is like a simpler mass combat system than putting everything down on, you know, and playing a war game. But of course you can also do that. This is one of the things I like about this is it's open-ended. If you want to play it out in chain mail or something, you can definitely do it, or you can just use these simple mass combat rules here. Once we get past that, we go into a section that I think is really interesting, which is the heroes section. So effectively what ends up happening is player characters by the nature of them being player characters get alongside their normal levels, they get what are called champion levels. And they don't get the first one until 25,000 experience points. So they got to be a little bit you know, up there to get some. But once you start getting these champion levels, you can use those levels to influence the domain. So if you have, let's say the God Hammer trait and you're a dwarf, you have the ability or the effect attached unit does maximum damage against extra planar creatures, right? So basically if, you're, if your dwarf has this uh, champion ability and they're with 
attached to a military unit, they will do extra damage against this, uh, or maximum damage against extra planar creatures. So what you can do is you can pick your abilities based on where the campaign's going, which is one reason why I think it's cool that you don't get them till later, because if you got that at first level and you never ran into interplanar creatures, right, that'd be a bummer. So you get these various things. And what the, so I guess what I'm getting at here is that this system is designed, uh, and I haven't used it yet. I'm just, I've just picked it up a few days ago. I've been reading about it. It's designed to allow you to start to use domain type play right from the very beginning of your campaign. As soon as you are making your idea for your campaign, you do a few adventures, you then roll up your domains with your various locations and layers. And it does have rules for retrofitting it. So if you've been playing for four or five you know, sessions or a couple of levels and you already have stuff set up, you just use stuff that's there already and then you add extra. But basically it allows you to go in there and have this like over the top play like top-down play, I guess maybe what you call it, where like you're looking at it as the DM and you're moving around stuff. This can give you a lot of ideas for things just are happening in your world in general. It can become almost like a solo play for the DM, or if you want, you can involve the player characters in it as well. I would not be opposed to doing something like, hey, I've got these four or five domains. I'm going to give you control of this NPC warlord. He's not your player character. You can't have him just give your characters money, but He's another character that you're going to run and handle some of this over-the-top domain stuff that's going on in the background. So you can have actually almost two games running on top of each other. All of your players that want to can run a domain lord. And then in addition to that, you've got your player characters inside the domains that are dealing with problems that are coming up because these lords are fighting. So I just think it's a really cool system. If anybody's used this, I would be curious to know. You can give me a call. Check out the uh, link in the show notes. That's how you can send a message on Anchor. You could also join my Discord. Link to that also in the show notes. Send me a message there, a private message, and I will play it here. I've got a couple of messages and I'm going to play now. Hey, Daniel. It's Kevin calling in from the Red Caps podcast. Just finished listening to your Ford's Fairies episode. Fantastically done uh, episode. And I love that book. Like, I love all monster books. Um, But that one's uh, very inspirational. I love the artwork. I love the fact that it's a community project. Um... The editor and layout on that is Eric from The Merry Mushman. Um, so if you're familiar with the Knock magazines, and I know you are, uh, this is one of his early works, actually. So everything kind of comes full circle uh, on products that we like, right? Same people are always involved. Um, I wanted to mention a couple other monster books that I really like for inspirational reasons. They're not really statted out. Neither one of these two books I'm going to talk about uh, are statted out as monster manuals, but I like them both. The first one, I'm just reaching over, sorry, is The Book of Imaginary Beings by Jorge Luis Borges. He's an Argentinian-born um, short story creator. Uh, he uh, has just this wonderful book of, there's a little, a little illustrations, but then a whole bunch of backstory on all these crazy uh, imaginary beings that he has and uh, it's very inspirational it's good to pull some some ideas from you would then have to study with the monster yourself as well but um, and then the other book is one I got, I got in recently uh, it was a very expensive physical book to have sent to me I think you can get the PDF a lot cheaper I, but I bought the physical one and got dinged massively on the shipping and duty charges but anyhow it is called a vast vasen Essen. Um, it's a spirits and monsters of Scandinavian uh, folklore. It is beautiful. Uh, it is uh, just gorgeously illustrated. Um, the book itself is constructed in a way that it's, it's just one of those really nice books that you want to kind of put out and have people just flip through. Uh, it is 
fantastic uh, for inspiration. Um, it's made by, I, I'm going to terribly, Johan Eggerkans. Uh, I'm butchering that name terribly, but he's the same gentleman who does the art in uh, Free League's new um, Dragonbane RPG, as well as all the art in, I believe it's also Free League that puts this one out, called the RPG called Vayas, and uh, although the two projects are not linked at all, they're two separate things altogether, but um, he does the art in all of those, so uh, if you like that art style, you'll love this book. Um, and he has other books as well on dragons and, and other things, uh, dragons and undead and a few others as well. But yeah, I highly recommend those two monster books, um, just for inspirational reasons, and thank you for your episode. I will talk to you again soon. Take care. All right, that was Kevin from the Red Caps, and he was nice enough to send me the links to the products too, so I don't have to go searching for them. But actually, the Book of Imaginary Beings I've had for some time. It's one of the early things I bought. I can't remember who recommended it when I very first got back into playing, and I've used it a ton. I think it was when I first was playing uh, Limitations of the Flame Princess because they don't have monsters. You're supposed to use like original monsters, and somebody just mentioned, oh, I use this book. It's a great book. I, I, I love it a lot. This uh, Vassin book, though, is super interesting. I will definitely check it out. Uh, hopefully I can find a, a way to get it shipped cheap because of course I'll want the physical book. I do have the, the free league game. Actually, I've been, I haven't played it yet. Somebody in the Anchorverse plays it, it might be Spencer, um, but somebody was playing it. I can't remember who they were talking about it a while back, but uh, it seems like a really, really fun game. And, and the art, it is one of the reasons why I keep buying those books, even though I haven't played the system yet. So uh, I'll definitely check this out. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Good video on werewolves. Enjoyed it. And you're right, they don't get enough love. That's because people like Joe Richter and Carl Rodriguez are so big into vampires. But, you know, werewolves are the cool ones. So you're on the right team, my friend. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Yes, werewolves are awesome. I think the reason why they don't get as much love in RPGs is they're actually almost too easy to beat. Because a werewolf is tricky, right? It's like it's, if you make it like a werewolf maybe should be in uh, folklore then they're almost too dangerous, right? Whereas a vampire, I think you can make them like they are in folklore and they're still dangerous uh, either way, right? I think that the vampires are dangerous in D&D because they have level drain and such, and which is means people don't use vampires as much either, I think. I feel like people that don't do level drain use vampires a lot more, but then you're just basically another undead creature to me, although somebody can call and tell me why that's not the case. But <laughs> I did a video about level drain and undead. Check that out as well. Of course, in any case, I appreciate all the calls. Like I mentioned already, you guys can reach out to me on my discord on uh, through anchor. You can also reach me on the clerics wear ringmail discord or audio dungeon discord. There's links to my discord and the link to the anchor thing in the show notes. You can also find links to these two books that uh, that were mentioned and also to the drive-thru RPG, the PDF of an Echo Resounding. I don't think it's available in physical book. It doesn't have print on demand at the very least. So if you, somebody finds it in, in print or they know a way to get it in print, let me know because I would actually like to get it in print. And uh, otherwise, I will talk to you soon.